Today, we call on Congress to get done what history will judge. Pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Pass it now. Welcome to season three of an all new How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things and action is the best antidote for anxiety. Today, we talk about the new stepped up efforts to protect voting rights and change filibuster rules, escalating legal troubles in Georgia for the former guy, and how you can join the fight for our voting rights now and on MLK Day of Action events all over our country. And joining us to help us prepare for the work ahead, both nationally and in your own backyard, is author, comedian, and host of the How to Citizen podcast, Baratunde Thurston. All of that, plus some really, really great reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We We Win. Mega show here to kick off season three. We're going to try to rein it in, but I think like if you're on the treadmill or the elliptical or something, you may have to just punch in an extra 10 or 15 minutes because we have a lot to get to here. Run a couple more miles. I mean, I did think last week's podcast was the launch of season three, but I guess not. <laughs> this one is way more juicy. So we're gonna we're gonna pretend we're we're gonna have like a season three launch do over. <laughs> well, last week was just a little preparing you for what's to come, and uh, I'm so grateful we have Baratunde Thurston on uh, for his second time on our show. But I he's, know he's so awesome; he's the best. And um, just a little trigger warning: we did talk quite a bit about our Hawaiian vacations, so um, I don't want to oh, make that's anyone right. I block that out. Feel bad about that, but. Um, also, a lot of really good things about how you can be a citizen and uh, and be effective in your own communities and nationally. So excited for everyone to hear that interview. We're starting today talking about two legends. In the last week, we've lost the incredible actor and activist, Sidney Portier. He passed away at 94. I think that he's one of those few people in the world where like no one has a bad thing to say about him. Mm. Um, and I think everyone is, you know, familiar with his incredible acting work, but also Steve, did you know that he was at the March on Washington? He and Harry Belafonte rode into Mississippi during freedom summer with bags full of cash uh, to give to the student coordinators who were, helping register voters in Mississippi in 1964. They were chased and shot at by the Klan, but they prevailed in getting that money to those students um, uh, and probably kept a lot of people from going hungry that summer. Yeah, Um, I did know that, and more people need to know that. He um, very quietly uh, supported the civil rights movement, um, both financially and with his actions too, but gave a lot of money to make that possible. Just a a giant that's missed and what a life uh, leaving us at 94. 
Yeah. The other icon we're talking about today is Maya Angelou, the incredible mm -hmm. um, writer, poet, who is going to be the first Black woman to appear on the U.S. quarter. Which is so exciting. And again, like shocking when you hear that as as long as we've been a country and as many quarters as we've had that this is the first black woman to be on a quarter but um i can't wait to get a whole bunch of those maya angelou quarters in my my hands and hold on to them and not put them in a parking meter yeah the the drawings that they've released are about what you know for what the quarter is going to look like is so beautiful there's um a bird and mm. uh, Dr. Angela is standing in front of the bird with her arms out and sort of mimicking the, the shape of the bird. And of course, uh, she wrote the incredible book, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, and, uh, and is a phenomenal woman. And, you know, this is a fraction of, of what she deserves, the, the way she deserves to be honored. So That's right. I'm with you. Very, I haven't seen a quarter in a long time. But <laughs> you haven't seen one? <laughs> nobody's taking cash anymore. And there's apparently, I learned yesterday at the coffee shop, there's a quarter shortage. So Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So. Well, maybe we can get her featured on, on the Venmo app or something, you know, so people can see see the design. I don't know. Still looking forward to collecting. Cash app, on PayPal, put her face on collecting. PayPal. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, so icons acknowledged and a fitting segue into our our news that we really need to focus on and talk about this week because both uh both of these icons fought and stood up for civil rights and for voting rights which is you know central to the fight for civil rights and that's what we are really focused on right now biden uh, is speaking today on voting rights uh in georgia with vice president harris he is endorsing changing the Senate rules to pass these voting rights protections and uh, and carving out the filibuster. Not going far enough mm -hmm. to say abolish the filibuster in general, but uh, supporting a carve out for it. Um, he called this the biggest test of America's democracy since the Civil War. Um, you know, it, it, it's exciting to... Um talk about filibuster reform. We talked uh, in our little quick mini episode last week that uh, Senator Schumer was talking about and really seriously talking about filibuster reform tied to um, getting some some voting rights uh, legislation passed. And he, you know, the implication was that he was going to do it in January if they couldn't get the votes in the Senate, which it looks like they won't. I mean, right. it's pretty clear. Um, it's pretty clear thanks to Manchin that they won't. Um, Schumer's going to force a vote on voting rights this this week uh, coming up until uh, MLK Day and on MLK Day, if, if not sooner. Um, right. And, I'm saying Manchin won't vote for it. Maybe he will. Oh, OK. We're I mean, being, we're being pot. We're being positive today. Well, I mean, uh, you know, this is our task right now is is to put pressure on him and on cinema and to uh, make sure this goes out. This is Manchin's uh, compromise. And uh, and he said that he won't go nuclear um, to change what his opinion of what nuclear means to change the Senate rules which have been changed for the filibuster 160 times before in the past, including also for an arms deal, 
for an arms sales, they changed the filibuster rules. So um, it's not without. So you're saying he would vote for the bill in order to avoid filibuster reform. No, because we have to reform the filibuster in order to pass the bill. But Manchin's been saying he wants to bring along Republicans. He wants this to be bipartisan. That's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. And um, McConnell made that clear um, yesterday when he just objected to an up or down vote. Again, they've objected to debate. No Republican is coming along with this. But there is some desperation within the Senate right now, Senate Republicans, because they know that there is this rising tide of support for this and this and a big push. So uh, McConnell threw out this, you know, maybe we can talk about the Electoral College Act and we can shore up the Electoral College Act, which is, um, first of all, they won't vote for that. The Republicans won't get behind that. That will not be bipartisan. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's another stall tactic that McConnell does when he knows Rep- Democrats are getting close to something. He'll kind of tease some. Well, potentially there's a bipartisan solution to bring back Mansion, to bring back Cinema, to bring back these moderate Dems who want a bipartisan solution to this. Also, the Electoral College Act has nothing to do with Congress. It has to do with the presidential certification. So um, it would do nothing to shore up against all these egregious laws that have been passed in um, legislatures all over the country. It would do nothing to protect our elections for the midterms this year. So um, there's a lot of moving parts going on right now. And uh, and yes, you're right. I don't mean to – I'm not going to be Pollyanna-esque about Manchin, uh, but you know the vote hasn't – it hasn't happened yet. There will be a vote to carve out the filibuster. Schumer's going to make that happen. President Biden is speaking right now to say that he wants that to happen. And uh, and then – and everyone is talking to to <laughs> Manchin right now. Oprah called him. Uh, President Obama has called him and talked to him. Jimmy Carter wrote an op-ed about uh, the threat to our democracy right now. This is the fierce urgency of now, and that's why it's happening on MLK Day and this day of action. Uh Yes. Good luck with that. Mansion, you know, <laughs> I'm going to let you be Pollyanna. Listen, if Oprah and Obama and Jimmy Carter called me or posted about me or wrote to me, I'd be like, what are we doing, y'all? Um, <laughs> Ma- Mansion isn't as he's not a jo- he's not a joiner. So um, we're going to see. And uh, but I, I, I encourage everyone to be uh, Pollyanna's like Steve. Pollyanna is is a self-deprecating term that I gave myself. <laughs> but we have to have hope. This is our moment. Like time is time is running out. Hope. Like this like if we want to pass voting rights, if we want to get this done and in, in time for it to go into effect before the midterms, it has to happen right now. Uh, and and so this is really our shot. This is what Schumer is working on day in and day out and this is priority number one. This is why the Build Back Better agenda got pushed. And that is extremely, extremely important, too. And that will be revisited. Uh, and and hopefully that will go through. I've already had the football pulled away from me on that one right before Christmas. <laughs> but um, um, but this is it. This is our time. This is our time. If it, if it doesn't pass, we can – I'm not giving up hope ahead of the midterms. Um, there's still a lot that um, we the people can mm-hmm. do, I think. 
Um, yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. We have we have some ideas. We have some thoughts about getting involved in the next couple of weeks and months, of course. Um, but in, in the meantime, we're also going to talk about other big election news also happens to be coming out of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, we are learning a little bit, drip, 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 about uh, Trump lawyers engaging with DAs in Georgia. Uh, this is a very interesting story. Um, it looks like it's possible that the Fulton County, that's the, the where Atlanta is, the Fulton County uh, DA Willis may char- try to charge Trump for putting pressure on Georgia elections officials to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election there. Trump's lawyers um, met with the folks in Georgia and mm-hmm. a couple of days later, Trump issued another unhinged statement about all the Democrats want to do is put people in jail. Quote, they are vicious, violent, and radical left thugs. They are destroying people's lives, which is the only thing they are good at. End quote. Something scared him. (laughs) He is. Yeah. And um, uh, by the way, if you did not get a chance to see um, Rachel Maddow broke this story on her Monday Mm -hmm. night broadcast and and uh, and did a really great breakdown of all of it. And um, yeah, uh, uh, Trump does appear to be worried, which is why he's just trying to denigrate the investigation in general, not really defend himself or defend his actions, but just uh, once again say all of these investigations are politically motivated. All of them are witch hunts and hoaxes and um, Democrats are the worst. So um, it is true Democrats do want justice for people who deserve justice. And it is true that I would like to see Donald Trump charged. This is, you know, part and parcel of the big lie. It is what led to the insurrection on January 6th. And we're seeing a lot of connections being codified by the January 6th commission right now, which is also very exciting to start to see some of that come out. They they talked about last week that they're going to be they said they're considering I'm sure they'll do it. Uh, broadcasting some of their hearings in in prime time so that that would be great so that everyone can see um, what's going on there but a lot is uh, coming home to roost and um, you know look Trump is Teflon Don for his entire life he is good at suing and delaying and your point it makes what we do in the midterms, whether or not we're able to pass these voting light rights laws or not, it makes the work that we do so important because we really need to stay in power. Because if the Republicans take over Congress in the midterms, then they're they're going to put the kibosh on a lot of this justice being served. And I just want to just really quickly reiterate what what the Fulton County DA is looking at. This is what Trump did. In the fall of 2020, he uh, put pressure on the Georgia Secretary of State to, quote, find 11,780 votes for him, which would have just barely allowed him uh, to win the election in Georgia if if they were to, quote, unquote, find those votes. Right. Um, There's also a report that um, Lindsey Graham Oh, goodness. Uh, Called the secretary of state. And then at a a campaign rally, Trump um, asked the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, 
to change the outcome of the election that happened in December. So right in the lead up to January 6th, like you were saying, Um, Georgia was uh, one of the ground zeros for, um, I guess that's an oxymoron. It it was a ground zero for casting doubt on the, the results of the 2020 election. Absolutely. Seems so, pretty cut and dry to me, but I didn't go to law school, so we'll see. <laughs> Seems pretty obvious to me. Um, but again, not lawyers, just humble organizers trying to help do our part. Um, speaking of people doing their part and, uh, and helping our country, let's talk about this week's Hero of the Week. I couldn't find this person's name, but I found this Twitter thread that the ACLU of Virginia did. Uh, This is Monday night um, is when I saw it. Um, Now, listen, they're live tweeting a school board meeting, which is kind of my jam. I like that. Oh, really? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You are a masochist, that's for sure. (laughs) I love local community meetings. Um, So anyway, the school board was exploring the idea of, I I think it was in response to some people in the school district wanting to ban and burn books. And um, this young person who had gone to school in Spotsylvania County where this happened stood up and I'm just going to read their, um, what they said, the the live tweeting that I was enjoying. (laughs) Um, I found a sense of solace in books, but they were written about white people by white people for white people. Books teach safe sex, the danger of grooming and pedophiles, and the dangers drugs do to your body. They teach lessons like how to love one another, no matter the race or sexual orientation. Books teach compassion. Books teach empathy. After we read To Kill a Mockingbird in high school, I wasn't called the N-word again. Books taught these kids I went to school with how much impact words hold and still hold to this day. It's not the library's job to protect children. It's there to allow exploration. We are more than capable to decide what we want to read. Don't take away my right to grow, to experience, to learn, and to love through literature. Um, Let's find this person because that is beautiful and the truth and uh, goes to everything that that we're seeing coming out of these school board meetings across the country yeah. um, where, you know, it's, uh, to be quite honest, it, it appears to be mostly white adults taking up space, talking about critical race theory and banning, you know, t- accurate teachings of history. And here we, we're hearing from a, a person of color um, how a young person of color, um, how much this having access to this information means to them and was able to change uh, hostile interactions with with their classmates. Um, What a powerful thing. So thank you to this young person. If anybody out there knows who this is, um, please let us know. We can can shout them out by name on the podcast and beyond. um, And always speak up at, at your local meetings and, and events. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, uh, we, we talk about this a little bit with Baratunde in the interview coming up, too, um, about the importance of speaking up in your own communities. And these school board meetings uh, have 
gotten crazy. They have really been mm-hmm. co-opted. Yeah. You, you said by mostly white people, but also by literal white nationalist groups are going into school board meetings, um, and not in districts where they have kids or maybe, maybe they don't even have kids, but they're using it as a platform for hate. And um, I, I can't believe in 2022 that there is even a conversation about banning books, right? You know, but that's uh, that's where we still are, and uh, and what courage this young man had to stand up in the face of all of that, and um, and make his voice heard. So, uh, yes, please do that. You know, show uh, show up, and they're fun, right? Mariah loves her local community meetings. Clearly, oh my God, they're a drag, but they're super <laughs> important. <laughs> Yeah, they're not. Sometimes it's a little scary. You're like, oh, these are my neighbors. Right. <laughs> and sometimes you're like, wow, this is where I get to live. Yeah, it's a combination, <laughs> isn't it? It's a, it, it takes a village, as they would say. Um, All right, let's talk about <laughs> this week's to-do list. We talked about it a bit in our news Um MLK Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Day is Monday, and it's always a day of service. Um, but this year, it's also a day of action on voting rights. And there are two main events happening. One in Arizona is actually on Saturday, January 15th, and that is uh, aimed at Senator Cinema to uh, put pressure on her to carve out an exception for the filibuster and pass this voting rights legislation. Uh, And then uh, there's also the Voting Rights Peace Walk in D.C. on Monday, January 17th. So if you're around there, um, think about participating in that. There are additional activities and ways to get involved all over the country. So you can go to mlkdayactions.org for all of the events and resources. Um, check out that site. We'll put it in our show notes and join in. This this is it. And this is the messaging that if you're on social media or you're talking to your friends and neighbors, that um, there's three main points that we really want to push out right now. One, democracy really is at risk. This is, uh, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, the fierce urgency of now. And we have this window. Time is running out to pass this legislation uh, if, if we want it to be implemented in time for the November election. Two, changing the rules has happened frequently. As we said earlier, it's happened uh over 160 times in the Senate before. So this is not Mm -hmm. by any means unprecedented. And three, and this is especially directed towards our friend, Senator Manchin, um, who Mariah doesn't have a whole lot of hope for. And, uh, and, you know, she's comes by that rightly. So uh, fair enough. He hasn't given much inclination that he would be hopeful, but we have to make sure that he knows we can't get Republican votes on this. Uh, They refuse to participate in this uh, preserving our democracy and voting rights. In fact, they're doing the opposite. And also a good reminder that the 13th Amendment that abolished slavery was uh, passed, you know, purely along party lines. So um, it's not uh, unprecedented to have to have a party line vote to move forward as a country. So. 
So join in with those events. Once again, mlkdayactions.org, and it'll be in our show notes. Awesome. The other thing that we want you to do uh, this week, we've set up some new social media channels. We hope that you join us on Twitter and Instagram at HowWeWinPod. And as always, if you haven't subscribed, make sure you do that and throw us a rating, a four, five star. How many stars? Five stars. Five four stars. stars. A five star rating. How dare you? Us on Apple. <laughs> as many stars as you see. Fill them all in. Give us six if that's if you can. Mm. Um, okay, so now our fantastic conversation with Baratunde. And then make sure you stick around for our Reasons for Hope right after the conversation. There's some really, really good ones to start off 2022. I kind of want to tease them, but stick around. They have to do with redistricting and voter registration. Stick around for that. But first, Baratunde. Baratunde Thurston is a best-selling author, podcast and television host, and a cultural critic focused on the intersection of race, tech, democracy, and climate change in America. On his podcast, How to Citizen with Baratunde, citizen is a verb, and Baratunde discusses new perspectives and practices from people working to improve society for the many. Hey, that's us. Hey, thank you so spirits. For, for being here with us. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me. Good to be back and happy new year. Yeah. Happy new year. And, and I have to say no good deed goes unpunished. Um, Mariah doesn't know uh, how you ended up coming back to us right now. Um, but I, I had. You're going to tell uh, her? You're going to let her I, in on the secret? Yeah, I'm going to let her in because um, yeah. Bertunde was in Kauai, the beautiful garden island of Hawaii. Oh, and Great. I commented on one of his pictures uh, and saying that I was going to be there soon for our vacation. And the sweetest guy DM'd me and gave me all this great advice and these places to see and make sure you download this app and do all that. And I repaid nice. that kindness by uh, waylaying him into the podcast <laughs> again. So uh, thank you and my apologies, sir, for all that. <laughs> Did you take uh, advantage of any of my advice? Totally. Yeah, we downloaded okay. the uh, the driving tour app, which was good, really fun. Good. Got a lot of insight about the island from that. Well, that's that's me paying it forward because one of my one of the people who's in my like text messaging community list, she sent me so much stuff, and so I was kind of just resharing. It was like in the Tumblr era, you would say I was reblogging uh, her posts toward you. And I think, Steve, this is a great way to start a conversation. You know, the party progressives, the working people. Can we talk more about our tropical Paradisian uh, vacation? Because uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel like say, we haven't we fully next? reconnected. <laughs> but what I really want to know is, um, you know, were you slumming it in coach or did you manage a business class ticket? Because that's what we need to know. Oh, no, coach. I coached it. See, yeah, I was traveling. You're a man of the people. I was trying. I mean, I look. I I took the exit row. Okay. I mean, I got that <laughs> extra leg room. <laughs> As under six feet tall, still too tall to not be in a human sized seat. But I was with my wife and her family. There were eight of us. A age range wow. nine months to wow. seventy six years old. Oh yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, so I'm glad to hear that everybody took some well-deserved time off after the, yeah. the year that we had. So the last time we chatted with you, 
It's November 2020, day after the election. Oh, wow. Got, got, got some comments about how exhausted we all sounded. <laughs> <laughs> really? People bothered to comment on that? Who would do that? Just keep your mouth shut. You deserve to be exhausted. We temporarily <laughs> saved the country from authoritarianism. We deserve to be tired. We were tired. We, we had, had a lot feelings. to talk yeah. about. Yeah, we did have yeah. mixed feelings. Um, the results weren't full of results weren't in yet. Uh, we had a lot to talk about, um, but that meant that we didn't get to talk about you. And Aww. we want to talk about you today and hear your story. When so you call yourself um, a writer, comedian, activist. When yeah. did you first start using the activist label? Oh, the year was 1977. <laughs> uh, I was born. And the word was thrust upon me by my activist mom. No, I, I think in my work, probably five or seven years, I've floated through titles to try to explain who I am to people who don't take the time to just listen. And like, but what are you? It's, it's almost mm -hmm. like the question that people get about racial identity or gender identity. Mm -hmm. But what are you? Are you a comedian? Are you a writer? You can't be both. You pick a lane. So I'm just like a, a comma separated list, I think in spreadsheets. So let me pick the things that I spend a lot of time on. And I was trying to signal my investment in the social and political, mm -hmm. um, not just mouthing off. So it's a way to try to hold myself to a little bit of a higher standard. It's also just a way to try to signal to people that I care and I actually give a damn. Mm. What was the... Uh First thing that you really jumped into as an activist, the you know that you remember, what was that? <laughs> the, the first thing I remember uh, was high school, and you know I graduated high school in 1995, and we had the Rodney King verdict come out then, mm -hmm. um, which was you know thankfully the last time we got a disappointing verdict about police behavior in the United States when it comes to this treatment of black people. So it feels like ancient history because we're just not used to that kind of story anymore. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so in, in that long ago, far away place called Here and Now, um, I helped organize a, a walk, protests, circles with signs thing at the Department of Justice. The first no justice, no peace with the picket sign standing in the streets. Uh, the mm -hmm. Black Student Union, which I was the president of at the time, or maybe vice president. I can't get the exact timing you, right. This is in D.C., yeah. right? In Washington, D.C. I grew mm -hmm. up in Washington, D.C. Uh, I was, I'm a native Washingtonian, and I lived there basically until I was 18. We moved from D.C. to Maryland when I was 12, but I still was going to school in D.C. and considered myself a Where'd you a go to school? I went to middle and high school at Sidwell Friends. And uh, I went to elementary school. I went to Sidwell through middle school, and then went what? to DC wow. high school. Wait a minute! <laughs> right? <laughs> that's that's amazing. Together. Go Quakers! <laughs> I, that's true. Wait, what's your? What are your parents' names? <laughs> Pearson. Okay, we have different parents. Okay, good. Yeah, we just, do. Just checking. We do. Just I know. Checking. We look alike. We could have been separated at birth. But. Wait, are you related to Ellen Pearson? No. Who worked at Sidwell? Okay. No. I'm a little that bit older than much. you, so we digress. You're a little bit what younger than me, you said? Older. Older. How yeah. old are you? I graduated in 89. From no. Yeah. 
I know. For those look at you. Audio, I look adorable on on <laughs> video, but and I sound so youthful. But in fact, that's really so. You're six years. I never. I would have guessed wrong. I would have guessed wrong. And if my life depended on it, I would have lost my life on that. On that well, guess. thank you, young man. I'm glad you didn't have to yeah. bet your life. <laughs> hey, did you know? Um, did you know Cheryl Conti? I feel like she was Sidwell '89. No. But maybe you left when she arrived because you swapped out. Like, I did. I left after middle after middle school. Yeah, and I showed up. Yeah, so you would have probably just missed each other. Great. Well, this is this is super. I'm, Mariah, I'm so glad we're having a good amount of time Hawaii, to connect with each other. Uh, so, <laughs> so far, the activists are getting everything they need for 2020. Oh, this is great. This is great. Yeah. So look, I mean, the, the short of it is like I had I had some questions about using that word because activist to me meant like the sort of full-time sacrificial commitment and you're physically out in the streets on a regular basis. And that's not my medium. You know, I, mm. I use my words, I use mm -hmm. my presence. I try to use, you know, if I'm on a mic on a place like MSNBC, deciding what I'm going to say and who I'm going to promote and what to try to amplify, that's a form of how I try to do what I consider activism. Um, mm -hmm. But there is a there is a more committed, more professional level to this game that I don't do. You know, I'm not regularly getting arrested, um, and I'm not you know full time just doing that work. And there are many people who are doing that. So I don't. I want to acknowledge some of that spectrum of possibility while leaving the door open to people who are like, to be an activist, I have to like give up everything and be only about this one thing. And I, I don't think that's the case either. No, I like that word spectrum to describe yeah. it because it 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 opens it up to so so many more of us who don't really have the time to get arrested on you know any given day. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do, do you have time to get arrested on a regular basis? That's a, that's a good question for twenty twenty two. It might be required more. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about your your podcast because this is actually kind of related. Because I want to know if the if the goal of the podcast is to create good citizens, or actually, I guess it should be citizen good, since you <laughs> citizen as a verb to help so, people citizen good. Do you citizen good? Citizen, so well, is that what you're... we went we went to Sidwell Friend School. It's citizen do well. You citizen well. <laughs> citizen well. There we go. Do you want do you want people to citizen well? And if so, do you citizen well? Ooh, look at you, accountability and whatnot. Yeah, she. Um, I don't know, just bringing it. <laughs> yes, that is that is the goal. Um, as many goals to the show, one was just to vent positively mm. and to give people some kind of media and story to connect to that didn't just inspire frustration, disappointment, and rage, which most of the kind of newsy media I consume triggers those responses. I don't think that's right. healthy. And I don't think that's reflective of the way the world actually is. I think there's so much good. I think there's so many people coming together. I think there's folks fighting the good fight and folks who are not fighting, who are doing other things that are worth showcasing in terms of how we live together. Um, and then I think, you know, another goal was to kind of try to, to create a culture that values democracy. Um, the, you know, the small D people powered thing that we claim to be, but have never fully been given this country's history and present. And how do we remind ourselves what that word means? What does people wielding power actually look like? What are the ways we can 
grow that power and build that power and, and use it to benefit, you know, our collective, which is kind of the whole point of living in a society mm. versus just being a bunch of individuals next to one another, right. um, which our culture tends to promote heavily. So how do we do that without it being this whole academic white paper type journey and uh, make it more interesting than that? So those, those were goals and, and making citizen a verb in the title was one way to do it. And it's not called how to be an activist, right? Which I think is less inviting because people have preconceived notions that we've discussed some. So citizen, what does that mean? And can we make it not mean just legal paperwork and borders and customs and that kind of legalistic noun term? How do we participate and be what we have been trying to be for a long time? Yeah, I love And you, you asked a follow-up. I'm not going to wheeze a lot of it. Do I citizen well? Sometimes, you know, um, I am uh, showing up, checking in for jury duty uh, later this week. Oh. I find myself checking in, you know, at a very micro level, like just trying to connect with neighbors. COVID was actually really good for that. I wasn't on the road so much. And I learned a lot about a neighbor who I just had been kind of dismissive of and too busy for, you know, mm -hmm. in the before times. And what, you know, I'm going to the grocery store. Do you need anything? Um, she sends all caps text messages to me when I'm on MSNBC, which is lovely. And <laughs> I'm sometimes a good neighbor, you know, much more than I used to be. Um, I find myself looking up what my city is up to on issues I care about, like sustainability mm -hmm. stuff at the very, very local level, which mm -hmm. I didn't always do. And figuring out how I'm spending my money uh, reconsidering where I'm banking mm. as a form of trying to citizen well. Like, who am I given the privilege of leveraging my dollars for potentially nefarious BS? Mm. And, and can I change that? Because that's also creating the world that I'm living in. And maybe I don't like how that world looks. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I've been learning a lot through making this show. And my homework is infinite now because I have found all these people in so many different domains citizening in ways that even I had not imagined you know, I would have considered going into the project. I love when you talk about doing that in your own community, like really, because yeah. that's, that's where it all starts is in your neighborhoods. Yeah. And we need to take care of each other in our neighborhoods. And we need to, you know, as the golden rules, like leave the place better than you found it. Right. Um, and, yep. and that at, at its core for me is the work of, of being a citizen and citizening, I guess I'm going to verb it. Um, do it. Jaren that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and what we try to do on this show too is, is, is yeah. get people involved locally and then as much as they can to, you know, to help out. Um, this season you're focused on tech to do. That's right. Like, citizening. Um, what, what have you learned from, from that so far? What, what are the takeaways that you've gotten from focus? Yo, on tech? Steve, we can do so much better. We can do so much. So many of us who are more active in the democratic arts, right? Small D can get a bit particular attitude toward people who aren't. Well, you know, it's a democracy. If you can keep it, if you don't vote, then it's on you. How dare you not, right? We, we, if we get a little taste of what it is, we can get a little holier than thou for those who haven't. And I think sometimes we forget that we live in a system which makes it hard and unnatural 
for us to show up in our collective power, to be there for one another and with one another, not just in competition with each other. Our economy sets us up against each other and doesn't leave us time to citizen. Who has time? People out here juggling all kinds of jobs, trying to make, you know, stimulus payment stretch and all. Healthcare is still a shambles in this richest nation in the world. So we're dealing with some bullshit that we really should have outgrown by now, but we're remedial in our advanced stage of development. You know, it's quite a paradox we live in in the US. So in that context, it makes a ton of sense why more people aren't involved locally in some way. It just feels overwhelming and exhausting. Technology and the way we experience it and the way it's been funded and incentivized can further drive a wedge between us, mm. letting us only see certain messages, right. uh, catering just to our hyper-personal needs and our individual preferences, right? Algorithms tuned to individual preferences, not collective beneficial outcomes. And Twitter was not created to sustain or extend a healthy democracy. Mm. It was created to make its investors rich. And it's not doing a great job of that, by the way, which is why mm. the CEO just had to go. Facebook wasn't created to be a public commons. Facebook is a gigantic mall and it's an attention hoarding apparatus, which is very good at hoarding our attention, not so good at creating a healthy public square. Mm. So this whole season we spent not doing the mini rant I just did about what we don't have, but finding the people who've built things with tech that give us what we need mm. to live together better. And we, we went all over the world. Thank you, pandemic. We could do it with the click of a trackpad right. and found people who are doing collective fundraising for your mutual aid group where you don't have to have a lawyer and they have centralized all that paperwork so you can decentralize your activism. We talked about what it means to have a healthy digital space with people like uh, Eli Pariser and why you don't want all your town halls happening at a mall. That just That's not good IRL. That's not good online either. Uh, we found people in the Middle East who've created social networking communities where trolling just isn't a thing. Mm. And we've been taught that like, well, it's just the internet. It's just the way things are. If right. you get online, you're going to get uh, a death threat or a rape threat or some kind of doxing because you put your voice out on the internet. And that's just how it goes, little lady. It doesn't actually have to. Mm. That's how it goes the way we built the system. Right. The same way it doesn't have to go that only a handful of people have enough resources to feel safe and healthy in a society. That's not just how the world works. That's how America's chosen to work. And we could choose something else. So it's been a super inspiring season because I'm like, oh, we could build on different infrastructure. We could incentivize different things. We could fund these things differently. And folks are actually doing it. So yeah, stop begging Zuckerberg to change his financial interest and do something else. We have other alternatives. Also regulate Zuckerberg. <laughs> like it's not either or. <laughs> also, someone push him off that wave runner thing, the hyper foil. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, I really appreciated this season because I, I, I think you said early on that you, um, you really love all of this stuff, tech and, and social media and stuff, and, and what it could be, but not what it's become. Um, what yeah. it's become, the, the mainstream pieces are um, uh, are destroying us um, and not certainly not living up to their potential. So, yeah, or highly, ours. 
or ours yet. So um, yeah. highly encourage people to, to if they haven't listened yet, to listen to this latest season. Howtocitizen.com. Get it. Do it. And then tell um, us what we missed. Uh, how are you feeling in this new year about the work that we have ahead of us in, in 2022? And, and what would you encourage people's focus to be? I am deeply concerned. Hmm. Um, I'm like Susan Collins. You know, I'm deeply troubled <laughs> and concerned uh, about where we are. And I, the, the dynamics that we're entering into are, are not good. They're not good. Our president's approval ratings are really low. We've got a, a built-in sort of conservative, authoritarian, and growing, hardened, pro-violent strain um, that's been fed. We have midterm elections coming up that in, if Biden were doing great, would still be hard. Yeah. And he's not. Yeah. You know, just from a public sentiment perspective, he's not. And, and that's, that's not good. That's not good because if what has historically happened happens in the upcoming election, Republicans take the House and probably the Senate too, we've further accelerated our decline into a cultish political world. Mm. We have one legitimate political party operating on behalf of the people and right. democracy right now. It's a Democratic Party. And the Republicans are a Trump party now, not a, not a true people's political party. And they're loyal to a man, not the Constitution. And they've shown, you know, we're, we're January 6th adjacent as we talk. And they don't care. They don't care. And they've shown a time and time again that all they care about is winning in a way that involves also cheating. So the, the things that have been happening locally in terms of changing the rules and putting Trumpy loyalists in positions of electoral oversight and swapping electors and all that, it just gets worse if they control the House and the Senate. And the investigations and the transparency that right. we need into what has already gone wrong disappears. And then it lays the tracks for 2024 to be heinous. Um, and this experiment to have run its course. It's, it's, it is an experiment. It was never a guarantee. But we're in, a, we're in a tight spot. So I'm not feeling great <laughs> um, based on, on those dynamics. And I said, to be honest about that. I'm nervous. And I, I feel like many of us are still exhausted from 2020. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I, I'm a very engaged political person. I'm not feeling very engaged politically right now. It's like kind of hard to muster that. And so for people who have not even put themselves out there like I have, they got to be feeling it even more. I have the luxury of like a quality home and relative peace of mind, and I'm still burnt out. Mm. So if you've suffered through waves of COVID death or unemployment challenges, I can't even imagine someone knocking on your door saying, can you stump for this local candidate I've never heard of before? Because mm. why? Tell me why. Yeah. I really, I yeah. I've not been hearing a great reason why. I have some ideas, but I'm not hearing a lot. Yeah, I, I How do you feel? I really appreciate you acknowledging that because there is, yeah. you know, genuine well-earned fatigue among, you know, everybody. And I I listened to our 
our episode from over a year ago, the day after the election. Yeah. And, um, and we were talking about, you were talking about the you know, voter suppression, gerrymandering, um, all, all the things that we had to do to overcome to have what was the largest turnout in our history. Um, and, uh, and what a remarkable achievement that was. Um, yeah. Now uh, we are faced with... Um, either or or both uh, passing some laws to uh, help fight against that or just having a, a huge, even steeper climb ahead of us to overcome that. And uh, we're coming up to MLK Day and, and uh, hoping that we can get the For the People Act uh, passed and carve-outs for the filibuster, but that is a long uh, road to hoe. As activists and volunteers who are tired, like, you know, where do you see the best opportunities uh, and the most important places for us to, because we, we don't have a choice. It may be a yeah. steep climb, but we're going to climb it anyway, right? We may yeah. be no, tired, never have a choice. But, um, yeah. but we're not yeah. going to get in bed. We got to keep going, right? So, so what are you looking at that's going to be really important? Look, Stacey Abrams always excites me. Mm. Uh, I think having a black female governor any any black female governor, well, actually not um, Candace Owens, but a good black female <laughs> governor would be great. It's like they're not all the same, it turns out. So that'd be good. And I'm excited for her to be in an executive position. Um, I think she came so close and I think she's a classy, intelligent and sophisticated leader. And I hope she can model that and model a different connection to the people, a different way to to narrate and tell stories as not just a candidate, but as an executive leader that can inspire others and, and train others through example, you know, let's try that out. And the types of coalition she's building and the on right. the ground, the way she's not just Stacey Abrams, like right. she is the product of a lot of on the ground organizing from people who are really embedded in communities and are working year round to stay connected to folks about what their needs are and how to help meet them. And, and we got to hold, and we got to hold Senator Warnock's vote. seat there too. So that's she's going to yeah. be very helpful. With that so so she can provide some cover for that. So that's exciting, and I'm looking forward to that. I um, I want people. It's a tough thing to ask, but like, I I need us to be afraid a little bit mm. <laughs> of of what we can lose. Yeah, I think we're we're um, we are bombarded by so many types of media stimuli and messages, everything just kind of washes over. Like I heard people who I think of as like-minded and like-hearted, like, yeah, the January 6th thing, was it really that bad? Mm. And I was like, oh, we're doing that? Mm. So did they have to hang Mike Pence for us to remember it longer? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like because a lawmaker wasn't killed, do the deaths not count? How callous have we become? Mm. And I think, you know, for people who are worried about the passage of a particular bill or Joe Manchin held this up or didn't do this or didn't do that, cool, 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 true. We're, we're not fighting for Joe Biden. We're not fighting for the Democratic Party. Take them or leave them. I'll take them, but some days I will leave them. Yeah. We are fighting for our ability to live together peaceably, disagree politically without that descending into violence and 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 overt control of folks or dismissal of folks. We are, we're fighting for that small d democracy so that we can fight opposition parties <laughs> politically, ones that don't believe in violence as a way to move forward. 
And then the last thing that I'll offer for now, at least we can have more of a conversation. I'm looking for, I, I, I need to hear something affirmative. I need to hear something mm. that we are that we are looking forward to, not just defending against or holding the line. We've been right. holding the line. We got to hold the line on abortion. We got to hold the line on the minimum wage. We got to hold the line on the blah blah. blah. Got to hold the line on forest fires. You know, we're just like doing little sh- controlled burns, trying to stop the whole forest from caving in and burning our whole town up. That's that's a limited fuel source for keeping mm-hmm. people engaged in the act of democracy. And I don't have a total answer, but that it's a strong feeling that I, I've not been hearing much of what is, why are we doing any of this? And don't tell me it, any candidate name, keep the candidate's name out your mouth. Why are we doing this? What are we fighting for? Yeah. What do we want for our kids? How do we want to live? What's the thriving future we want to be a part of and how is this step going to assure us that we get closer to that, even if we don't see it ourselves? We're getting closer to it. And that's always the point. Progress, not finality, not total victory, just progress. And I think we're missing that articulation. And the Democratic Party is scaring the hell out of us with these text messages <laughs> and these garbage emails. And that ain't it. Uh, I that, could and not, we're not agree resisting, more. <laughs> right? Resistance only goes so far. So that ain't it either, right? What are we creating? What are we striving for? How are we going to be thriving? And how do we connect that goal and that story to, listen, I need you to show up <laughs> in this yeah. tangible way. I need you to make this call or give a little money or come to this meeting. Because if you don't, the Proud Boys are showing up. They've gone local. Yeah. You know, the Nazis are at the school board meetings now. Yeah. Right. So like that indivisible early swing left thing, like the tea, there's a tea party, then indivisible swing left. And now the, we pendulum, but the swings are getting more volatile, you know, at least from one side. I think it's out there also. I mean, I just saw some polling about all the elements of the build back better agenda are still wildly popular, uh, roundly popular with Americans. Um, but you talk about all the time that we are still minority ruled. I mean, we do not have a representational government. Even no. if we get rid of the filibuster, even if we pass D.C. statehood, uh, it is still we're, we're still minority ruled. And that's that's something that's yeah. very hard to put into the public square. Like, uh, you know, yes, we have all these things that are very popular and Democrats are pushing for them and they're pushing for you. Um, but it's hard because we don't have a representational <laughs> government and the filibuster blocks yeah. stuff. So we're trying, you know, I mean, that's a hard argument to make to someone who it, it is involved. I, I, think we, I think we need to give people credit for being able to handle some complexity. And I, um, yes, we need to try to pass good bills and good policies in an environment that's not designed to support that. Uh, and we got to deal with people like Joe Manchin because he's still, as much as I've dogged him, <laughs> is better than having a Republican in that Senate seat. Absolutely. Yeah. Or else we wouldn't even have this opportunity. We might not have had the first stimulus come through. We might not have had the infrastructure bill come through. We might not have had these judges that we needed in terms of democratic, small d democratic infrastructure. It's not even might courts. not have. We wouldn't have. We wouldn't. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for removing my hedge. We wouldn't have. Yeah. But you're bringing up some important like systemic stuff about... It's like, do we have a democracy question mark? And like how 
healthy, how robust, how sound is it? And because of the Electoral College and gerrymandering and campaign finance, and probably a few more structural issues, but at least those, the party that's appointed our six of three Supreme Courts didn't actually have a majority of the presidency to be able to do that. You know, like we're kind of faking it at this point. And we've been unable to or unwilling to dive deep into the structural reforms necessary to re renovate this, this old house. It's not serving us. Mm -hmm. And we're lacking legitimacy. And we can delay and, and compromise within only for so long. It's absolutely ridiculous that what people want, we can't get. And that's not how, that's literally not how democracy is supposed to work, right? Right. So the democracy isn't delivering on the will of the people. And instead something else is happening. Something more apartheid South Africa era is happening because of those old Confederate rules and the electoral stuff. And we got, so we got to fix that. I don't know how the constitutional convention, like there's some technicalities, but we're going to keep running into this wall until it's too late yeah. to try to undo some of this. Well, uh, rightly so, you have a call for us to be scared, to be worried, um, and feel the urgency of the moment. And yeah. uh, it's an overstated thing to say we're faced with the most important election of our lifetime, <laughs> right? But God, it's so it's just true. I'm not even trying to, you know, use hyperbole. Um, our yeah. democracy is at stake. So, you know, we should be concerned. We should be worried. We should also not let that keep us from being out there and doing the things that we must do as citizens. When, when we're um, exercising, when we're playing a sport, when we're carrying a heavy load, it's not easy. It hurts. Like if you sign up for a gym class, you're paying somebody to make you feel bad, to put <laughs> your body through strain, but you get something out of it, mm -hmm. right? You get more connected to your body. You get increased cardiovascular capacity. You get to sweat and let out some of your emotional pain points. And that's, that serves us. That's helpful. I think, you know, we go into this upcoming season and we want to preserve the House and we want to preserve the Senate and extend it ideally. Yeah. And we want some of these tactical electoral political outcomes. Maybe we'll get them. Maybe we won't. But what we will get is a deeper connection to our community, a deeper investment in where we live, a deeper understanding of how the system works and how it doesn't. And we come through that stronger, even if we don't win the seat or keep the seat that we intended to. We come through that clearer and more knowledgeable, maybe more frustrated. And then we can use that to do deeper fixes that we need to do, whether there's an election or not. Well said. Um, well, I could end it there, but we have to ask you the question yeah. that we ask all of our guests. And um, we lost Mariah to a screaming baby. So that happens. Um, oh. And uh, baby, baby 13, Mariah zero. <laughs> that's how babies work. <laughs> that's they right. always win. Baby they always, always win. wins. Um, yeah. So maintaining its undefeated <laughs> streak. <laughs> undefeated. Against grown ups. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, there's a lesson in, uh, in frustration and being dealt losses. But it's right. worth it because babies are great. Anyway, um, great. final question for you. What brings you the most hope right now? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, what brings me the most hope? I think a lot of people are deeply awakened to some more of the realities of what feels off in our world. You know, COVID revealed a lot of things that were broken, a lot of injustices as one example of the past two years. And I think that's been healthy. And I also think more people have been made aware of their power. Um, you know, the number of, uh, uh, sometimes it's sad why, but the outcome's still positive. Parent friend of mine just organized COVID tests for their kids' whole school, mm. working with other parents, got the funds, got the tests. Like the government wasn't doing it. The school administrators wasn't doing it. No other parent was leading it. So she stepped up and she helped do it with these other parents and, and bought them some months of relative peace of mind. Yeah. When, when we're in a very passive state and nothing's being asked of us except to shop, we don't get to experience that. And it is painful and annoying, irritating, frustrating, even disappointing, some of the reasons why we've had to step up. But it's also given us an opportunity to step up. And that's practice. That's good. That's, that's good for our connection to each other, for our sense of our own, own power. And I want for people to feel their power. And I think a lot of people are feeling more of that in, in different ways, not just around candidates winning and that, that rush, that adrenaline rush, but about sort of a community connection, a family connection. How I'm learning how to talk to people who are questioning vaccine stuff in a whole different way. I used to just shut folks down. You don't believe the science. Yeah. Well, I'm like, yeah, but science be changing. You know, <laughs> like you kind of had a point. <laughs> and I hear Fauci saying things on Rachel Maddow recently that I heard anti-vaxxers saying a year ago. <laughs> and I was like, you know, talking about kids getting COVID and it's not, you know, being in the hospital is not the reason. COVID isn't the reason they're in the hospital, but they get categorized as COVID hospitalization. Hmm. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we called those people idiots when they said that early <laughs> on. And now freaking Fauci just said that on Madhouse. I know, it's so confusing. So more grace, more patience for some. It's not universal, but a lot of people are feeling that. And I think any additional person feeling that sense of connectivity, that sense of community, that sense of collective power, is better for all of us. So I welcome that. It gives me a lot of hope and it refills my cup when I can get very overwhelmed with the darkness and the fear and the what could we lose, uh, which is important, but cannot maintain the center of my focus at all times because that's unhealthy. Well, that's that's great. And that gives me a lot of hope too. Um, and uh, yeah. it's such a pleasure to have you back. I hope it's not another year um, and it doesn't take me hijacking your vacation advice to, to get you back on the show. <laughs> I think that's such a great, that's such an organic way to end up on a podcast. And it was, that was a smooth use of, you know, our connection in that time. Like, hey, that was, do you want to come on the podcast? And I was feeling that aloha spirit. <laughs> You know, when you asked, I was literally like in Kauai. I'd probably come from a hike. I was like, sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. But, you know, thank you for being my my first public anything of 2022. Oh. This is this is my, uh, my media debut of the year. And I appreciate how y'all have been helping people show up and participate. That's a key principle of how we think about what it means to citizen. So thank you for all that and inviting me back. 
I will definitely come back before a year, uh, just figure out how to end up, you know, like you said, we're on vacation. Well, mahalo to you as well, my friend. Mahalo, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, happy New Year. Happy 2022. Let's get it. All right. Um what an amazing conversation. I'm ready to citizen it up. <laughs> we lost you for a little bit there. Jack Jackson had a little emergency. There's an, there an incident with the baby. <laughs> Can't wait to hear the end of that interview. <laughs> it was I was around for three quarters of it, so I know how good it was gonna be. You got the gist and you're like, all right. I got better things to no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the baby's screaming. I gotta go. <laughs> um, um he was fine. Glad to hear he's okay, of course. Yes. Um let's talk about reasons for hope. Yeah. What's yours this week? Okay, I'll go first. My reason for hope is recent reporting on uh how redistricting has gone. And that's one thing that we've all been paying very close attention to, uh, starting back when Trump was trying to stifle the, sentence, uh, the census, census and, yeah. and, uh, and create an undercount, especially for people of color, and, and to add a citizenship question to it that just intimidates and disenfranchises people from, from the census. So uh, it was delayed as a result. Redistricting was delayed, and we're finally seeing it come out now. And there was a lot of uh, hand-wringing over what the results would be. We don't have all of the results in, but right now it does not look like the boon for Republicans that a lot of pundits thought it might be. Um, there's a couple of reasons for this. There's a couple of places where um, Democrats were able to really bolster up their districts and, and Democratic states and make sure that everyone has their right to vote and that um, they are choosing their politicians and politicians aren't choosing their voters. And then in the areas where uh, Republicans control these state redistricting commissions, They'd already done such a egregious job of redistricting that they weren't able to really improve on it very much, right? So um, there wasn't much more they could do than what they had already done ten years ago. So the the map um, looks uh, about the same uh, and doesn't give Republicans, at least right now, what we're seeing early, a significant advantage. And certainly, if you look at the presidential and the electoral count, um, it still puts Biden um, up at a, at a good margin to um, to carry those electoral votes. So that's really good news. That's reasons for hope. That's one less thing to worry about because, a as we've talked about, we have a lot to overcome. We have a steep hill to climb to motivate, engage, and turn out voters in the midterms. Yeah, and I think it's it's a great point. Um, I mean, we fought to to get that question off the census. We fought to get people to fill out the census in the middle of the pandemic. We fought to get people on citizens redistricting commissions. Um, we fought to hold uh, you know Republicans accountable when they do the ridiculous gerrymandering. So um, I think this is a huge victory, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, increased engagement and a focus and understanding on what's not always the sexiest topics, the census redistricting <laughs> and gerrymandering. Yeah. So thanks to everyone who paid attention and participated in those. Absolutely. Um, Your reason for hope, Mariah. 
my reason for hope is our forever first lady. <laughs> you know, just saying her name makes me feel so good. Michelle, Michelle, Michelle Obama. Um, she announced that she's going to help get a million people registered to vote before the midterms. That's right. That's in November. That's right. <laughs> um, through, through her organization, When We All Vote. And they need help doing it. So they're recruiting 100,000 volunteers to accomplish this goal. We're going to dive into the details of this next week. But hey, if you want a preview, you can go to whenweallvote.org and, you know, see what there is to sign up for. Um, we're going to be pushing you all to, like, that's a lot of work that we got to do. A million people registered to vote. But if 100,000 people sign up to volunteer, it's possible. You talked about all those people calling Manchin, asking him to do something. Well, listeners, Michelle Obama is asking you to volunteer to help register voters. Like, are you going to say no to Michelle? I'm if not. Michelle Obama asked me to do something, I'm <laughs> going to do it. I'm going to do it, too. So, yes, whenweallvote.org. So many exciting things going on. Um, and, uh, yeah. I miss that first lady. She's amazing. Um, we'll talk more about it uh, next week and weeks to come. You know, we'll definitely be pu pushing this initiative because uh, uber important. Yeah. You haven't heard the last of our r voter registration. Efforts. <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly, <starting>. for a podcast <laughs> called How We Win, we're actually going to be talking about voter registration. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved when Michelle Obama tells us to do something. <laughs> what is your reason for hope? We want to hear from you. We have a brand new website, so check it out at howwewinpod.com. Tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at mariah underscore craven. Or you can send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com. As we said earlier, make sure that you're subscribing, rating, reviewing on Apple, wherever you get your pods. We really appreciate you being here with us every week. It means so much um, and also all the work you do. We will be back with a very interesting and exciting episode next Wednesday. Can't wait. See you then. W.